on the Sermon on the Mount, and I am very excited about this series. Uh, recently, we've been in First Peter. We looked at we looked at trusting God. What the Scriptures teach us about trusting God, and and from now till actually sometime in the spring, we'll be on talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And what I really want to do today is just go through this sermon, actually, and uh, we'll take time, actually, to read through it and listen to it, because it was a sermon that went together by Christ, and, and as we start this series, I want you guys just to hear it all together. So we'll read through it, and then I just want to comment a little bit on some key uh, background and perspectives that will really help us make the most of this sermon series, of the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I, I really believe that the Lord is going to use this as He has, of course, our other series and different parts of the Scriptures. Uh, so I'm uh, anticipating what He will do uh, even today as we read His Word. So let's go before Him in prayer and ask that He would speak to us. Lord, we thank You for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You're the living God. We thank You, Lord, that You love us in Christ and want to teach us. And Lord, You are committed to transforming us, each one and together as Your people, into the image of Christ. Thank You for that. You love us that much. And I pray, Lord, You'd be here with us. We want to hear from You. Would You speak to us through Your Word? Would You help me serve Your precious people and glorify Your name? I thank You, Jesus, for Your blood and righteousness and Holy Spirit for Your active presence here in our midst. So come and be with us as we read the Word. And as I speak of your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And we will read right through. Hopefully our projectionist can keep up as we read through this entire sermon from Jesus. This is fairly early in his ministry. And it says in chapter 5, verse 1, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard from their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If in the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see that speck that's in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Do not give dogs what is holy. and Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him. So whatever you wish that others do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree 
bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. That is the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we'll be going for the next months. Uh, we'll take a little break for Christmas and then continue. In our remaining time, what I want to do is just cover some things that will help us uh, maximize our benefits individually and as a church from, from this wonderful sermon, really the greatest sermon perhaps ever preached, certainly by the greatest preacher. It was a sermon that was probably given over a longer period of time than whatever that was, 20 minutes, uh, probably as a distillation of maybe something that took hours or even days perhaps of Jesus' teaching put together in the Scripture for us. It says that at the beginning, at the beginning of this section, that Jesus had been ministering to the crowds. He had been going throughout Galilee. Uh, Chapter 4 says that He was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. His fame spread throughout all Syria. I think we have an overhead for this. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and, and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So he was ministering in this area of Galilee and beyond, and people were hearing about him. They were hearing about Jesus and, and his ministry, and he desired to teach them. As he proclaimed the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God come, he wanted to teach these crowds that were following him, particularly those that were consciously his disciples, about the kingdom, about the king, and following the king. The crowd mostly would have been Jewish people, and they would have understood their history and their Bibles real well, and much of what's here is we can trace to the Old Testament. Jesus is teaching them truth about the kingdom of God, and these were people who were aware of God and who were aware of the promise of the kingdom. They were people who were aware of God's gracious rescue of them from Egypt, from slavery, to be His people. They were aware of that gracious rescue and the covenant God had made and the call God had made on them to be His special people, to be His holy people, to walk with Him. They were also aware that they had largely failed and had been sent into exile because of that. And were experiencing to some degree still an exile from God. So they were looking forward to the restoration of God, of the kingdom. 
and under the ultimate king, the Messiah. So as Jesus brought this truth and did these wonderful things, these things entered into their thinking. They were anticipating the king and his kingdom. So Jesus brings his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount on the kingdom of God. That's what this is about. It's about kingdom living. And that's the title of our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Living. It's learning about living life in the kingdom of God. And it applies to the disciples and it applies to the disciples now. It is Jesus' authoritative teaching for us. Let's just kind of trace some of the themes that are in it in this sermon. One of the themes is, of course, the kingdom, the kingdom of God. The Gospel of Matthew itself is, has this theme throughout. There's 53 verses in Matthew that mention the kingdom of God. Probably more times than that you see the word kingdom. Within this sermon itself, there are 11 times that the kingdom is mentioned. The kingdom of God. I think it's important for us to understand what the kingdom of God is because there's different ideas out there about what the kingdom of God is. Simply put, a kingdom is what? What is a kingdom? A place where a what rules? A king rules. It's a place where a king rules. So simply put, the kingdom of God is a place where God, through his king, Jesus, rules. But that's not the same as the church. That's an important distinction. Sometimes we think that the kingdom of God is the church. There's certainly overlap there, but they're not synonymous. They're not the same thing. I think there's a quote from George Ladd on this where he talks about this. He says, The church is the community of the kingdom, but never the kingdom itself. Jesus' disciples belong to the kingdom as the kingdom belongs to them, but they themselves, they are not the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule of God. The church is the society of men. And Wayne Grudem says, There's a close connection between the kingdom of God and the church. As the church proclaims the good news of the kingdom, people will come into the church and begin to experience the blessing of God's rule in their lives. That is the kingdom. So they're they're different. The church is the the gathering of people that profess Jesus as king, but it's not the kingdom itself. The kingdom is his rule. There's there's overlap there, but it's not the same. Kind of like perhaps um, among the registered Democrats, There are Democrats that really are happy to have President Obama as the president and love all his policies. But not all of them necessarily have that view. So the the church being like the Democratic Party, it's the people that profess allegiance, profess belonging to the king, but the rule of the king itself is somewhat separate. It's, It's what those that come under and whatever comes under his rule. So when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, he's teaching about the rule. And in each of our lives, there are aspects of our lives that are under the rule of the Lord, and there are aspects that are not really in his kingdom. Part of what God is about is sanctifying us, which is bringing all of who we are under his rule, in his kingdom. I hope that's helpful. So much of what's here in this sermon is about life in the kingdom. What's it like? What does it look like to live under the king's rule? What are the ethics? What are the attitudes and behaviors of those who are submitting to the king's rule? Another theme here is that of the law as well. And there's a lot about the law in here, about fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill them. And for the next 30 verses that we read, he talks about what real fulfillment of the law looks like. He does not diminish the law in the least. Rather, he intensifies the requirements. And he calls us not just to an outward behavior, but a disposition of the heart. Much of what this sermon about is about law keeping. It's about following God's commands, following His ways, 
in Christ, by grace, yes indeed, but following and keeping the law. Saying that, a very important key theme in this that goes right with it, we can't take it apart, is the God-centeredness of this sermon. This sermon, make no mistake about it, must be intricately connected with God. If we are to understand and apply this sermon, we must understand that God is the source and the focus of what's in this sermon. There are many who love this sermon who do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, do not see Him as the King, and they they appreciate what's in this sermon. But this sermon is not intended to be taken apart from God as the source and center of life. There's really no way, no way at all, to even begin to obey what's in this sermon, heart and life, without God as our center and source. So the Beatitudes, next week we'll cover the Beatitudes. These are amazing attitudes for God's people we're called to. And if you read through them and think that you can do it without God being the one that you lean on and rely on and live for, forget it. So I'm sure as I was reading through that, some of you are like coming under condemnation. Oh man, there's just so much here that I can't do. Yes, indeed, that's true. You need the Lord. The Sermon on the Mount is about life with God at the center. When God's the one we rely on, when we rely on His grace to us in Christ, His life in us, it produces the heart to want to obey the Sermon on the Mount and to live it out. God is at the center of this. The goal of this sermon is to live for God in all things, reliant on Him, living for His glory. And so if you read through it, you'll see that. Again and again, the call back to trust in God, to have the perspective that God's opinion matters most. We saw that, didn't we? Often the behaviors of of fasting and giving and so forth, it's with God in view. Don't worry about what others think. Remember your God who sees in secret. Live by His opinion and therefore do these things. Over and over again, the, the call to not be anxious uh, and to manage our money and to live for the kingdom is all based on reliance on God, knowing that He is gracious. He's a Father who supplies clothing for the lilies and will take care of us. And that knowledge of His graciousness, His goodness, frees us to pursue the kingdom, to seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. When we recognize He takes care of this, that, that theme goes throughout this sermon. So let us not approach the sermon with the idea of, I'm just going to look at it and plug it in and do it. No. It's about God. It's about relying on God. It's about living for Him. Actually, all commandments are relative. All commandments in Scripture are relative. And you might be thinking, "Uh uh-oh. Is he saying all truth is relative? Yes, I am. All truth is relative. But, it's to be relative to God. Truth and commands don't really matter if at the end of them is not God and not people made in His image. So, doing the Sermon on the Mount without God at the center, without God as the one you rely on and live for, is kind of like if you lived in Haverhill. Imagine this. You live in Haverhill, and for some reason, everybody's moved out of Haverhill. Uh, they've gone somewhere else for some reason. I don't know what the reason might be. But just say everyone moves out, all right? And you're the only one left in the city of Havel. And the lights are still working, you know, the traffic lights, the street lights, and, and everything. And you're driving your car around, and you come to red lights. And every red light 
You stop and wait till it turns green, and then you go. But there's no one else in the whole city. You come to every stop sign, you stop. You obey all the speed limits. There's nobody around in the whole city. Would you really do that? Would you stop at all the red lights? Would you stop at the stop sign? That would be silly, wouldn't it? The purpose of the red lights and the stop lights is to create order for us to live together. The purpose of those rules are people and, and order and blessing others. Without people, the rules don't mean anything. The same thing with the Sermon on the Mount. Let us not make the mistake that these are, this is somehow a stoplight that exists in and of itself. No, it's about God. It's about life, trusting Him and living for Him. This sermon is all about that. God is the center. There are contrasts throughout this sermon. We see Christ again and again contrasting the, the salt with the decaying world, the light with darkness, the Pharisees with the disciples, hypocrites with sincere givers, worrisome Gentiles with faith-filled kingdom-seeking disciples, Broadway versus Narrowway. There are contrasts throughout this sermon that are brought by the Lord so that we might see ourselves in that contrast. And let us avoid the mistake of it's us and them. I'm the, the good disciple here, and those people out there are the hypocrites. Part of what the contrast is about so we may see ourselves in both the good and the bad so that we might be warned about what it's not supposed to look like and instead called by Him to repent and believe and live under His kingship to walk in how it's supposed to be. Those contrasts are meant to serve us that way and to reveal whether we're really relying on God. If you have God at the center and you are relying on God in Christ, if you recognize that you are a sinner who falls short and needs mercy and grace from God, and you've run to Christ who died for you and rose again to give you life. If you've come to that place of faith, you have God Himself living in you and He changes our lives. And that's the basis of what the Sermon on the Mount is for. A knowing the Lord and, and following Him and His life in us produces kingdom life. And so we're to look at these contrasts and say, is there an aspect of who I am, how I think, what I do, that looks more like the bad part, the bad tree, the, the decaying world, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, then the good side. It's meant for us. It's meant for us to be conformed to His image. Some perspectives really quickly. I'll talk about that these as we go through, but uh, Jesus' view of the law, the law of God is, is meant for our holiness. Um, there are... There are those who think that this sermon really doesn't apply, that the purpose of this sermon is just to set the standard of Christ's holiness so high that we despair of ourselves and run to Him for mercy and grace. And that is indeed part of what this is about. But there are those who think that's what it's about. Some people think, well, this is, sermon is actually not meant for now. It's for the future. It's when Christ comes back and the millennial reign happens and, and we come to live with Him. Then we'll be able to obey this. I don't know if you need to have people slapping in your face and turn the other cheek if you're going to be in the millennial kingdom. There shouldn't be anybody else slapping you in the face in the millennial kingdom. Um, there are those who think those things, and there are other ideas out there as well, but, but really this, this sermon is meant to be applied. How did the Lord finish the sermon? The one who puts these into practice will be like the house built on the rock versus the sand. He is clearly calling for application of these truths. Therefore, now. Therefore, disciples, now. Therefore, people coming under the rule of the king, now. This is what discipleship and kingdom life looks like. 
And we'll take time to go through it. You're probably thinking, oh, help me, because how do I do that thing? How do I turn the other cheek? What does that mean? We'll, we'll tease that out as we go through the series. You're going to have to wait. Sorry. Uh, but we'll talk about that. It is meant for now and life now. The, the, this sermon indeed is to convict us of our sin, that we run to Christ for mercy. But then, knowing His life in us, we go from that place hungry to walk out these truths, hungry to grow in our righteousness, hungry for the kingdom and His righteousness. That's what we're to be freed from, to, to pursue the kingdom of God, His rule in and through us, and His righteousness. So we, we come from grace hungry, free to run after His holy ways. The, the kingdom expands through the Sermon on the Mount through behavior. That's part of another lesson that the, that the Sermon on the Mount teaches us. Do you want to see the kingdom expand? Do you desire to see the kingdom come? Then learn to live under the king. Kingdom ethics are intimately tied to kingdom expansion. And all of us, if we belong to the Lord, want to see the kingdom come. We want to see it expand. And so Jesus says, you want to see the kingdom expand? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Learn to live as the meek who inherit the earth. Learn to give the one who steals your tunic, your cloak, as well. Be like your heavenly Father. You want to see the kingdom expand? Live these ways. Kingdom expansion is related to kingdom ethics. If the band could come up as we finish up. There's some other things I'd like to get to. I won't be able to because of time today. But we will as we go through. But let me finish up with goals that we want, that we're looking for for this series. I am excited. I'm excited for the series. I, I believe the Lord is at work and the Lord wants to do some things. I really, through this, my prayer is that we be changed by our series in the Sermon on the Mount. That we be changed and that the kingdom expands in our lives and through our lives. That there be a noticeable difference for us, perhaps each and every one, that is my prayer, each of us, there will be a noticeable difference from now till March or whenever we're going to finish it. And what God has done. And not only for us individually, but as a, as a group, as a church, there will be a noticeable difference in the kingdom coming. It will expand through changing us and conforming us more and more to Christ. To actually see our lives radically altered through the truths of this sermon. To, yes, first be broken and convicted. Guys, hang on. Buckle your seatbelts. There's conviction coming for all of us. We're going, to be, we're going to be lowered by this sermon. We're going to measure ourselves against the truth of it and say, Lord, I need your help. I am desperately wicked. I want nothing left to myself, nothing to do with these truths. We are going to be convicted. We are going to be broken. And that's part of the process. But the other side of that is as we're convicted and broken, we see the beauty of the thing that convicted us. We see Christ and His kingdom ways, and we say, Lord, it's way beyond me. I've fallen short, but I know I'm forgiven. Will You help me start to be like You? Help me. Change me. Change us. Make us like You that we'll see the beauty and the joy of kingdom living and we'll run after it. Full of gratitude for His mercy enlivened by His grace, joyfully anticipating the blessing 
and a glory of obedience, hungry for the kingdom to grow and expand in us and through us. That we would truly, zealously and wisely seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And as a result, in our personal lives, in our families, in our church, our extended families, our friends, our neighbors, our community, we will see the kingdom come in ways we have never seen before. That's what I'm asking God for. I'm asking God for big things in this series. I want to ask you, and really us, for two things as we start this series. One, would you pray? Would you pray regularly for this sermon series? Certainly pray for me as I seek to preach and others who will be bringing messages from this series. We need God's help. But with that, and more importantly perhaps, that we would receive His Word well. We would have hearts of faith and repentance and that the power of God will be poured out on us. Guys, I don't want to get to the end of this and just be better informed about the Sermon on the Mount. I want the Lord to work in us and through us. I want the Lord to change us. I want to see Him glorified. We have much to learn, and He's good. So will you pray regularly for Him to work and pour out His power? Secondly, will you prepare your own hearts? Could you ask God to change you? Ask God to change you. Ask, let's ask, ask God to change us. And let us ask God to change us first. Not that other person first. Oh, this, this is a great message for that person. To listen to a message and think through, wow, you know, i got a guy in mind for this one. I know he really needs this one. But I need it. So let us prepare our hearts and ask God to change us. There's going to be something in here for each of us. Probably, if we really think about it, Everything for all of us in here. But there will be one thing at least that God will use to get at us. Let us prepare our hearts. And let us do that, certainly by prayer, by by going to the Lord. But also, would you take time, perhaps over the next months as we go through this, to read and reread the Sermon on the Mount. I hope it benefited you for me to read through that because there's an impact, I think, when we hear the whole thing. Would you commit to do that again and again? You don't have to do it every day, but perhaps once a week. Read it, reread it. Prayerfully. Lord, teach me from your word. So let us pray and let us prepare and let us watch the kingdom come and his will be done as we go through Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful sermon, this wonderful part of Scripture. And we, as your people, say, Lord, come and have your way. You, Lord, would You come and would You work? Would Your kingdom come and would Your will be done, Lord, in and through our lives? Would You do above and beyond all that we would ask or imagine? And would You get the glory as we find our joy in Your kingdom life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and conclude with the song.